It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Here's Donald. Carry it out. Deep ball. Separation. Caught. Robbie Anderson. Goodbye. Touchdown, Jets. The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten. And here they come. Make this pass. It's intercepted by Mosley. Maybe on down the top. Bell breaks a tackle. Looking downfield, fires this one, and intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams goes down on the ground and takes it away. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the Vivid Seats Studios, where you can get yourself up to 100 bucks off of your very first purchase when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app. Just use the promo code OVERTIME. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is Wednesday, which means it's time for Midweek with Manish. Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Hey, Manish, what's going on, man? Hey, Scott, how are you? Uh, I'm getting there, Manish. I'm getting there. It was a rough one at MetLife Stadium <laughs> on Sunday. And I'll tell you, one guy who certainly had a rough afternoon was Adam Gase. And he took his attitude into the press conference. Now, I know he has a reputation for being blunt. I totally respect that. And I like the fact that he's a little more honest than we're used to hearing. But he got a little bit contentious and showed off some personality traits that we'd seen in Miami that were combustible there. And while they're fine now, they could very well be very combustible down the line if the Jets don't start winning. Yeah, you know, I thought, you know, 24 hours after his team choked away a 16-point lead with 19 minutes to go, that uh, humility would uh, probably be the smartest course of action. Instead, you know, he was defiant. He was defensive about a lot of things. Uh, And I think the big takeaway is that he insulated himself and Sam Darnold from criticism uh, while really throwing so many other people under the bus, whether it was the offensive lineman being too aggressive that led the free runners to Darnold or Robbie Anderson, even though he didn't mention Anderson by name, he mentioned a specific play. And if you watched the game, you knew exactly who he was talking about, essentially saying that Anderson didn't uh, run a double move properly after Bill's cornerback slipped and fell late in the game. Uh, And then he, you know, he threw the cornerbacks, Jermaine Johnson and uh, Daryl Roberts under the bus by saying that they got they have quote unquote slight room for improvement and then he qualified it by saying that's putting it nicely so you know I don't think that's the way that a head coach should comport himself uh, you know you touched on honesty I think there's a lot of value in honesty I think what's most important for any head coach not just uh, Adam Gase is being honest with your players in house you know, being critical uh, ripping them. Uh, privately uh, within the confines of that building within uh, a meeting room you know those things are essential but when you take it public uh, after one game and after a game clearly where you as a head coach are, are also culpable to me is not the, the the right way to go about it that's how you lose a locker room that's how players revolt they they get ticked off they see this kind of stuff now they don't care if you rip them uh, for mistakes privately in fact that should be mandatory for any head coach but when to to do it publicly and then absolve yourself of blame is 
really an odd strategy. Uh, I, I think you know a better way of going about it, even though it's maybe a, a more boring way for fans and for reporters, is to take the blame yourself as a head coach. I mean, this is an offense that generated eight points, an offense that generated 3.4 yards per play. Clearly, Adam Gase was to blame on some level, yet he did not take any blame. He he put the blame solely on his players, and uh, even though he had a passing remark after the game about how he perhaps uh, may have overloaded some of his offensive players with information, he even pulled back and took back that mea culpa yesterday. Uh, on, on Monday, I should say, by by saying that after thinking about it and watching the film, he did in fact not put too much on his players' plate. So that is is code language for you know. Upon further review, it wasn't my fault. Blame the players. So it was a very curious tactic by him. It's not a tactic that's going to uh, sit well with players if it continues. So uh, you know, I, I think the big question with Adam Gase was, did he learn from his mistakes in Miami? Uh, and, and again, you don't want to bury the guy completely after one week, but I thought he could not have handled his, his press conference or his conference call a day after this loss any worse than he did. Manish, there's a guy named Nigel Burton who used to be the head coach at Portland State and also has been an assistant coach all over the Northwest for football. He's a morning radio host now and also does analysis for Pac-12 football. What he always likes to say is when he was a coach, they used to go around constantly saying, the best indicator of the present is the past. And so if you look at what happened in the past, it's most likely to manifest itself in the present. In other words, a leopard doesn't change his spots. If you're going to be successful when you once failed in the past, you've got to change your approach. Now, in a vacuum, Adam Gase at this press conference is not that big a deal. It's just one press conference. It's just one loss. But if this continues as the Jets continue to lose, it's going to get old real quick. And as we saw in Miami, one of the biggest problems that he had was keeping control of everything as a head coach. It wasn't necessarily the offensive game plans or calling plays, although obviously he did have an issue with that this past Sunday. But if he continues down this path, if the Jets continue to lose, it's going to go from people thinking it's refreshing to have this kind of honesty to, whoa, dude, enough. I think you hit the nail on the head. This notion about being refreshingly honest is, I mean, it's all well and good, and especially coming off of the, the coach that this team used to have. You know, Todd Bowles is not a guy who uh, was you know, overly engaging in a public setting. He didn't delve into details too much. He didn't really criticize players. And, yes, that makes for a boring press conference. It makes it difficult to gather stuff as media and, and use it in stories. I understand all that. I'm part of the media. I get all that. But uh, you cannot throw your players under the bus the way he did. I just don't know how you can look at this situation objectively and say, that's okay. Now, if he had shouldered the blame himself and then said, hey, you know, I have to do a better job. I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, you know, the players should also improve. You know, something along those lines, it'd be much more understandable but he in effect just shielded Sam Darnold and himself from any kind of blame and criticism while throwing everybody else under the bus I I don't remember uh, and I'm trying to think of back back to Rex Ryan even I don't remember a situation like this even you know with Rex he he would he would take accountability 
And the, the idea that Adam Gase has not taken any accountability, not only from this game, but from the kicking mess, he is quick to point out that, that the personnel guys are paid, you know, to make these types of decisions. He strategically distances himself from any criticism uh, about anything. And this is you know, over the course of six months. I've seen this over six months, and I've talked to people who have been around him over the prior three years, and to them it's not a surprise. That's his M.O. You know, he will uh, insulate himself from blame by changing his truth, by changing his reality. And it's always, at least to this point, it always seems like it's someone else's fault. And I'm not saying that he can't change. I don't want to paint a picture that this is the way it's going to be uh, for the remainder of his tenure as the head coach, because I don't think that's fair. I mean, maybe it'll manifest itself that way. Maybe that's how it plays out. I don't know, but I don't want to say it's absolutely going to go down that road. But he needs to change, and someone needs to tell him this if he can't figure it out himself, whether it's uh, a coach, a friend, somebody in the front office, a public relations staff, uh, you know, their public relations strategy has been mind-boggling, to say the least. You know, the, the, the fact that Gase even spoke in, in the tone that he spoke yesterday is really ridiculous when you, when you think about the fact that he gagged away a 16-point lead late from late in the third quarter. You have to be humble in those times. If you're not humble, if you come across as arrogant, cocky, when you haven't accomplished much of anything as a head coach in your career – that will ultimately, as you said, rub people the wrong way. That will ultimately get old. So, you know, just just this like control freak vibe that I got from him yesterday. I, you know, I specifically asked him what I thought was a fair question about why Ty Montgomery was only used for five snaps when Ty Montgomery was an integral part of what we saw in every practice this entire off season, and Adam Gase himself. Uh, you know, waxed poetic about Ty Montgomery's versatility and how how important he would be for this offense and how he could use him in different ways. And I don't want to say Tom Montgomery is Le'Veon Bell because he's not, but five snaps out of seventy-two, I think that warrants a question and warrants an explanation. And his response was so arrogant; it was just unbelievable. I, I don't I don't remember exactly what he said, but the vibe was I can do whatever I want because I'm the head coach. Do you really want to hear that from your head coach after he just choked away a game? I mean, I, I, I'm not a fan of the team. I'm just a reporter. But I know if I were a fan, I, that would be a little bit off-putting, to say the least. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com.
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. I texted my friend Travis Wingfield, who hosts Locked on Dolphins, with all of the key quotes from the press conference. And his exact response was, same as it ever was. That's what he used to do in Miami, and that was one of my big worries here. It's not that he did this once. It's that he has a history of doing this. And again, I don't really mind the saltiness or him being blunt or him even coming across as angry or patronizing or any of that stuff if the team is winning. But after you get drummed like that, and you end up losing in such embarrassing fashion, and the fact that you have that history in Miami, this is not exactly the first foot you want to put forward with the fan base and the media and everybody in New York. If they're winning, no one's going to care. If they're losing, this is going to get old real quick. But one good thing for Gase, and one thing that he can definitely go into Monday optimistic about, is the fact that it looks like Arguably his best player on defense, or at least certainly his best player on defense from week one, C.J. Mosley, is going to play. Yeah, those are, it's an interesting thing. He has, a, he's a, he has a groin injury, right? So groin injuries heal in different ways. Uh, I don't know if he's going to practice on Wednesday. It didn't seem like he would practice on Wednesday based on what Gase said. Uh, and Gase is right in this respect. Groin injuries, soft tissue injuries are tricky. And you don't want to be declarative in saying this is absolutely going to happen. He's absolutely in. He's absolutely out. Because you don't know how he, a player is going to feel. And there's so much time between now and kickoff on Monday. Uh, I'll say this. The Jets uh, are in big trouble if C.J. Mosley isn't playing. And we got a window into that into that in the fourth quarter against Buffalo. Uh, if he's playing, you don't want him playing out of pride if he's not going to be effective, if he's going to be hobbling around. But uh, I, I don't know. You know, I, I I don't know what's going to happen, but whether he's in or he's out. If it looks like he's in now, you know, we're, we're still a you know, fair amount of days before kickoff. But uh, it would be a, you know a substantial blow if if he can't play or if he's not a hundred percent because he's he's such an invaluable piece to the puzzle. I know you and I spoke about you know spending that kind of money on an inside linebacker. Uh, a lot of general managers uh, would disagree with doing that. Uh, you know, I think Joe Douglas included. I don't think he would have paid that kind of money. But the fact that they got this player in house to me is so important because he's such an an integral part of you know correcting mistakes before a play even begins. And uh, yeah, I think you saw that clearly. Buffalo took advantage when when he wasn't in the game. But uh, you know, just circling back real quick to Gase, like, I, I agree with you. Uh, if he were Bell Belichick, if he had six Lombardis in the trophy case and he acted that way, that that would be annoying, of course, but maybe justifiable on some level. But you, know, you got to take ownership not of only not only what happened in that game, but the, the kicking mess. You know, he has strategically distanced himself from that mess. Some people believe that because it's because he does not want to throw Mike McCagnan under the bus. I can tell you with great assurance that uh, McCagnan and Adam Gase were actually in agreement on the kicking situation in free agency. They did not want to pay Myers what he believed he was worth. They believed the kicking situation or the kicker position in general is interchangeable. And, uh, you know, for him to not take responsibility uh, about that is, you know, inexcusable. Uh, Just admit your mistake and move on. But 
he's decided to take the Mark McGuire approach, not wanting to talk about the past, when the reality is that he did not want Myers. McCagnan didn't want Myers. Both of those guys are to blame. Speaking of the kicker situation, the Jets have signed a brand new kicker, Sam Ficken. He was most recently with Green Bay. Corey Vidvik, of course, out. So hopefully that means an improvement on Monday night. And on Monday night, hopefully Quinnen Williams will play. He left the game on Sunday with an ankle injury. What's the latest with him? Yeah, Quinnen Williams is an interesting one because he had, you know, he he left the stadium in a boot. He has an ankle injury. Uh, a little bit different than the soft tissue injury that C.J. Mosley has, but because it's a Monday night game, he got an extra day. Uh, I don't know at this point, six days out, five days out, whether he's going to play. I would imagine he wouldn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, we'll see. I don't see there's any any need to rush. Uh, he'll be important, of course, because you know the, the, they only had five defensive linemen, I believe, who were active for the season opener. And when Quinn went down, that, that obviously hurts in terms of getting ample rest. And if you look at the snap counts, Leonard Williams played uh, really too many snaps, I thought. Uh, I don't, I'd have to take a closer look at whether it affected Leonard in the fourth quarter. But you clearly, you know, you want Quinton Williams out there. You need Quinton Williams out there. There's a reason why you drafted him uh, when you did. Uh, but ankle injury, uh, according to Gase at least, uh, he wasn't hobbling around on Monday uh, typically, if it's really bad, uh, you know, maybe you'll see a noticeable limp. That didn't happen. But uh, I can't tell you uh, right now whether he's going to play or he's not going to play. And if he does play, how effective he'll be. But uh, they clearly need both Mosley and, you know, and Quinn Williams out there. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Manish, there was a lot made of the fact that there was going to be an electric crowd at MetLife Stadium. Fireman Ed came out of retirement to lead the chant. And this is no reflection on him. Ed's just one guy, so I'm not trying to blame him for this. But the crowd was kind of lackluster. There were a ton of Bills fans there. You pointed this out. This is something that's got to be addressed. I don't know exactly how the Jets are going to be able to rectify this, but... That is going to be something that's going to get even worse throughout the season because you've got the Patriots on the schedule, you've got the Steelers on the schedule, the Cowboys are coming in. These are teams whose fan bases travel. I'm not sure what you can do about this, but it's more or less going to negate the Jets' home field advantage a lot of the way, especially considering that the Jets fans themselves weren't very loud in the opener. I noticed before kickoff, and I'm not talking 15 minutes before kickoff when people are still filing in or maybe even still tailgating, but early in the game, you know, probably right at kickoff, that there are a lot of empty seats. And it's hard to tell just because of the color of the seats, but if you look carefully, there were a lot of empty seats in that second and third level of the stadium. And uh, when it was crunch time uh, after the Bills took that lead and, and the Sam Darnold had, a, you know, had the ball, two-minute drive, the Bills' defensive players were actually encouraging the crowd to make noise because the Bills fans in in the building were louder than the Jet fans. It's it certainly seemed that way, you know, from, from where I was. And uh, you're right. You you got some 
some uh, crowds that travel. I think, uh, you know, Patriots, uh, as you mentioned, the Cowboys are coming up in a little bit. They have a national fan base. Uh, What can the Jets do? I propose either giving away tickets for free, which they don't want to hear, of course, and their business, so why would they do that, or just severely discount the tickets. Get more Jet fans in the building because there isn't any real home field advantage, and that's not just the week one of 2019. That's for the better part of the last decade, at least, the better part of MetLife Stadium's existence. You know, I remember the first home game in the Rex Ryan era against the, the Patriots. That, to me, was a real home field advantage, and, and I think they hit Tom Brady a million times in that game. They ended up winning that game. You got a sense uh, in that game that there was a real home field advantage. But by and large, throughout the years, there isn't a home field advantage. And I don't want to say that's because of the fan base, because I do think that the people who are actually in the building are, are cheering. And whether Fireman Ed is in the building or not is irrelevant to me. Uh, and nothing personal against Fireman Ed. Uh, he's a loyal fan. I know that he obviously grew up a Dolphin fan. But regardless of that, he's been a loyal Jet fan for a very long time. Uh, I, I don't under, quite understand, and I'm not a Jet fan. I didn't grow up a Jet fan, so maybe this is on me. But I don't quite understand the fascination of having Fireman Ed in the building and why you need Fireman Ed in the building to to rally the troops, to rally the crowd. I don't understand that at all. That, that to me, is a very odd dynamic. It's always been odd to me. And, again, no disrespect to Ed. He's a loyal fan. But there's a lot of loyal fans and a lot of loud fans. And I understand the chant. I don't know why the, the chant just kind of can't can't start organically within the course of the game. I'm not exactly certain why you need a, a grown man sitting on another grown man's shoulders to initiate that. But, again, maybe that's just lost on me because I didn't grow up a Jets fan. But, uh, you know, something needs to change in terms of getting more Jet fans in the building and actually selling out the crowd. I don't remember the last time there was an actual sellout, like a real sellout, in which you couldn't see a seat. Uh, open in the building. There are always open seats, and I, I don't know if that's a failure of the marketing department. Uh, uh, I, I'm not exactly sure, but something clearly needs to change because it's embarrassing when it's week one and you see a lot of empty seats in the second and third level uh, when you're starting uh, a season with a lot of promise, a lot of hope, uh, a new head coach. That building should be packed, and it should be packed. Uh, it's not realistic to have 100% Jet fans in there because Buffalo does have an incredibly loyal fan base that travels. But that building should have been packed, and it wasn't. Manish, it's not just you, because I've been going to Jets games for over 30 years, and I had the same reaction. And again, it's no disrespect to Ed. He's a loyal Jets fan. I don't know him personally, and he's doing what he's doing. That's fine. But I don't need anybody to tell me to get up and cheer. And I think that most of the people in my section and the neighboring sections also don't need that. It's just a matter of the crowd composition a lot of the times. The away team ends up having a lot of representation. And again, I don't really know how you combat that. We could sit here and try and come up with ideas like the ones you came up with. But it's very difficult, especially in the era of StubHub and the secondary ticket market. But one thing that I think could help combat it is if Sam Darnold continues to improve. The Jets have had a couple of seasons in a row where they've been really bad. If Darnold is able to make that leap to the next level and the Jets are able to start winning games consistently, I think you will see sellouts. I think you will see fans that are more reluctant to sell their seats 
on the secondary market, and that will lead to louder crowds, kind of, as you said, in an organic manner. Let's talk about Darnold. He definitely struggled on Sunday. Part of that was because of the offensive line. Part of that was Adam Gase's game plan. But part of it was just Darnold not really being that good. Let's be honest about it. One thing that I did think was interesting, though, is that it wasn't for lack of effort because Darnold put in a ton of work over the offseason and throughout training camp in the preseason. You chronicled that over at the Daily News. You had a great piece. Anybody that hasn't read it yet really should go over there and read it. It was an in-depth look behind the scenes at what Darnold has done to try and take his game to the next level. Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, th- those are some of the reasons why I was excited when Adam Gase was hired uh, by the Jets. He's a smart football guy, specifically on offense. He understands and identifies things that you know should be corrected, can be corrected, and he noticed when he did his uh, film study of Darnold, uh, Darnold's rookie season, that there were a couple tells that needed to be corrected. Uh, and I checked with uh, a defensive coordinator on one of those tells, and he verified that, yes, you know, this was something that you know he had picked up on and told his players about. Uh, it's little things. I mean, little things that fans probably don't understand, don't even think about. I mean, why would they? I didn't even notice it until I found out you know, through uh, various means. Uh, one of them was that in shotgun snaps at – uh, Sam Darnold would move his elbows. His elbows would go in and out, and right before the snap, uh, you could, if you were a smart defensive coach and picked this up, you would relay this to your defensive lineman. Look at his elbows. Right before the snap, his elbows would kind of just, you know, move in and out real quick, so you could get a good jump off the ball. Uh, and, and again, that's not something that a fan would ever even notice he, he, when you're watching on TV. Uh, uh, certainly not when you're in the building, but. Even if you watch a single play over and over, it's very difficult to to identify that. And that's something that Gase identified. Uh, and the key to, is that you keep your elbows straight in a shotgun situation. You can move your hands. And if you ever watch Peyton Manning uh, in shotgun settings, his elbows never move. His, his, his hands always move, uh, but his elbows don't. So there is no tell there. And that was something that uh, Sam didn't even really know or realize when I spoke to him about it. He said he didn't really realize it until until Gase uh, talked to him about it. So that's something that he had been working on all off season to kind of eliminate that. And the other one, and this is something that if you watch a game uh, on replay from last year, you can notice it, it doesn't happen. It didn't happen all the time, but it happened enough where when 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 Darnold went up to center, uh, he would just casually walk up to the up to the center, have one of his hands under the center, the other wouldn't even be under center, and he'd be calling out a cadence or maybe a dummy call or, you know, uh, or something. And if you're a defensive lineman, you're not worried about anything that Darnold's really saying or you're not really worried about the snap coming because Darnold didn't have both hands under center. He wasn't in a position to take the snap. Uh, and that's something that Darnold also didn't quite really pick up on until Gase identified uh, you know, that issue. So those are two subtle things that I think can help him moving forward. Uh, there's a, an area of the field that Gase refers to as no man's land, which is when you sprint out right, whether it's by design or if you're flushed out. If you're going to throw the ball, you throw it while you're still kind of on the run. You don't stop and plant because if you stop and plant, you're going to have somebody barreling down uh, from behind. And you could get hurt. You could, you know, you could cough off the ball. A million bad things can happen. And, uh, you know, Darnold actually cited a specific example in practice in which he uh, had a sprint out right. 
and then he tried to throw it across his body. He stopped, and in a real game, he would have gotten crunched. So, again, these are just subtle things that can help him become a better player. Uh, and these are reasons that if you're a Jet fan and if you're Darnold specifically, give you hope that you got the right head coach, uh, you know, mentoring this guy and, and helping this guy get to the next level. Uh, you know, it's all of the other stuff that I think might be a concern when it comes to Gates. But just from a football X's and O's standpoint, uh, these are types of things that smart, offensive-minded coaches understand and pick up on and relay to their young quarterback. So, you know, in that respect, it's very encouraging having Adam Gates work with Sam Darnold. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. Manish, the Jets had a rough week one. They now head into week number two in front of the entire country and really the world on Monday Night Football against the Cleveland Browns team that everybody expected to steamroll the Tennessee Titans, except nobody told the Tennessee Titans that. And the Tennessee Titans were the ones that ended up doing the steamrolling. The Browns got spanked by the Tennessee Titans, so they come into this one 0-1. We'll see if Odell Beckham takes out his frustrations on the Jets next week and has a better fantasy day than he did in week one. Not that he was bad, seven catches for 71 yards, but certainly not worthy of a top pick in any fantasy league, especially a week-to-week, day-to-day fantasy league like what's going on over at FanDuel, where you can win all kinds of great prizes. And if you're a first-time customer, you can get 20 bucks in Insight credit if you deposit 20 bucks or more. The beauty of it is you pick a new team every week, so the roster's flexible. Injuries and busts can't kill your season because if you use the first pick in the draft on a player who's injured, doesn't have to stay with your team the entire year. He's gone by the next week, which gives you plenty of chances to win, which is good because there's millions of dollars worth of prizes at stake. Sign up now for FanDuel and get yourself 20 bucks in total bonus. Just make your first deposit of 20 bucks to get started and you'll get an extra 5 bucks in site credit every week for 4 weeks. Go to fanduel.com/dfsfantasy or download the FanDuel app today. But beyond just the fantasy ramifications of that matchup, you now have a situation where you've got both teams 0-1, both teams desperate for a win because the probability of making the playoffs once you go to 0-2 goes down quite a bit. So, what do we look for in this game from the Jets? What do you think they need to do to win this? Well, they have to threaten the intermediate and deep level of the field. You did not see that. Uh, until the very end, really, when Sam Darnold was taking a couple deep shots uh, to Robbie Anderson. But by and large, this was a dink-and-dunk offense. I mean, there's a reason why uh, Jamison Crowder became the first player in NFL history or the first receiver in NFL history to have 14 catches and fewer than 100 yards. And, and you know, 3.4 yards per play isn't going to get it done. Sam Darnold, under six yards per pass attempt, that's not going to get it done. So even though... Uh, statistically, Darnold didn't have a terrible game. Uh, you you got to open up the playbook a little bit. You got to threaten these Browns cornerbacks because yes, Denzel Ward is a is a really good player. You know, he's an exceptional young talent. 
Uh, I think there's some question marks uh, at the other corner spots. The linebackers are okay. Maybe you could say that they're iffy. Uh, so you know, I, I do think that there should be opportunities for Darnold to to beat this team uh, on the second level. You know, things he did not really do, whether it was by design or his decision making in Week One. Now, on the other side of the ball, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield was sacked. I think he was sacked, you know, maybe four times, something like that. The, the Browns were terrible on third down. They only converted one of ten opportunities on third down. If the Jets can duplicate what Tennessee did in that aspect, that'll clearly help matters as well. Uh, and a lot of things will be out of the Jets' control, probably, because the Browns had 18 penalties. I mean, 18 penalties for 180 plus yards. Uh, you know, that's you know that seems to be a discipline problem more than anything else. I'm not sure if the Jets could control that, but if the Browns don't play much better than they did last week, then you know they they'll be 0 2. But what I think is telling is that Vegas has the Jets as a two point and a two and a half point underdog at home to a team that just got throttled by 30 at home. I, I guess that kind of tells you what some people think uh, about how good or not good the Jets actually are. Uh, it's prime time. It's home. Uh, maybe I'm making more of that than it, it should be, but I think, I think this will be a close game. I think the Jets, are going to win, to be honest with you. Now, C.J. Mosley doesn't play. I might reevaluate my, my assessment on that. But uh, I know that the Browns got the hype. I know they got the flash. They certainly have uh, the best uh, – well, I guess I, sh- I shouldn't say certainly, but I think they have the best offensive player on the field with no disrespect to Le'Veon Bell. I think that Odell Beckham is a guy who can change a game uh, quicker than anybody uh, on the field on Monday night. Uh, so how would the Jets combat – him after Dowell Roberts and Tremaine Johnson weren't really good in week one against much lesser players uh, at the wide receiver position? Uh, I don't know. I can't answer that question. So it could be a long day, but I'm not a believer in Cleveland's offensive line at all. Can the Jets get enough pressure uh, on Baker Mayfield? If they can't get enough pressure against this Cleveland offensive line, then they're never going to get pressure. And I know that they don't have the, you know, the edge pass rushing presence, Jordan Jenkins did a nice job, but uh, they they should be able to win the battle. The Jet defensive line is better than the Browns offensive line. The Browns offensive line stinks, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but they are not good. And if the Jets don't dominate that battle in the trenches, then they won't win. I think they will win that battle, but if they don't, then it could be a long day because I don't think Baker Mayfield is nearly as bad as he showed uh, in that three interception performance last week, I don't think he's a superstar by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I, I would take Sam Darnold still over Bacon May- Mayfield. Maybe I'm in the minority there, but I clearly don't think that Mayfield is nearly as bad as he showed in week one. But again, if he can't get protection, then uh, it, it won't matter. And if the Jets can't beat this offensive line, they don't deserve to win. Probably worth noting that the Jets are underdogs in the next five matchups. So if that ends up coming to fruition and they start this season 0-6, things could snowball out of control pretty quickly. Seems like this Browns game is almost a must-win, which is weird to say in Week 2, right? It is, and the schedule is so odd because, as you just said, just look at what's ahead after the Cleveland game. You're, You're in New England, then you have the bye, and then you're at Philly. Then you're home against Dallas, and then you're home against the Patriots. You, you could conceivably be 0-6. Uh, and if you're 0-6, well, 
what's the morale in that locker room? How does your head coach respond to all of this? Because what's what's interesting is that I know that Jet fans had believed this and, and thought this all along, but if they could have somehow come out of this six-game stretch, uh, even two and four, you know, three and three would be great, but even if they were two and four, it'd be okay because after that you've got at Jacksonville, they don't have Nick Foles, you got at Miami, that's a free win, you got the Giants, you never know what's going to happen with the Giants, but they're not a good team. And then you got at the Redskins, you know, they might be a little bit better than what people think, but that's certainly winnable. And then you got home against the Raiders, and yes, the Raiders looked good on Monday night, but uh, yeah, I'm not sold on the Raiders. And then you're at Cincinnati and then Miami. So I, look, the next after this six-week tour de force of games, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six. You've got seven games that are winnable. And I'm not saying the Jets are going to go on a seven-game winning streak starting in Week Eight, but out of those seven games, I don't think it would surprise anyone if the Jets went five and two in that stretch. So all they really need to do is you know tread water during this six-game stretch to start the season. And, and it's so much easier said than done because the Patriots are in there twice, the Eagles and the Cowboys. There's so many good teams in there. But it would be it would be a daunting task if they were 0-6, uh, even though I, I think that the next seven games uh, are winnable in theory. Uh, if they're 0-6, things could kind of, you know, come off the rails pretty quickly, and this could be a uh, just a disastrous first season for Adam Gase. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. Manish, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week because the Jets will be playing the Patriots, but this Antonio Brown situation is bonkers. Obviously, it started out with him demanding to be traded from the Steelers. Then he was supposed to be traded to Buffalo, but he nicks that, ends up going to Oakland. Then he ends up causing a mess there, getting himself released. Now he's with the Patriots. First of all, were the Jets at any point, and I mean even going back to when the Steelers were shopping him, were they ever interested in Antonio Brown? And how do you think that this ends up impacting the Jets? I know this is going to sound crazy, but I think if there's anybody that could help blow up that Patriots locker room, it would be Antonio Brown. (laughs) Not saying that it's going to happen, but I'm saying that Antonio Brown may end up being more of a curse than a blessing for the Patriots, although I know a lot of Jets fans right now are worried and saying, might as well just hand the Patriots the Lombardi trophy. That might be the case, but I also think that Antonio Brown is just crazy enough to possibly cause enough of a problem to actually hurt the Patriots. Well, look, the Jets were not interested uh, in him, uh, at least that's the information that I have. I actually disagreed with them at the time. I was wrong. Uh, I, I did not foresee all of the craziness that ensued in Oakland. Uh, I knew that there were some issues, obviously, in Pittsburgh. But I, I believed that the Jets needed to come away from this offseason with Le'Veon Bell or Antonio Brown, one of the two. And if they couldn't get Le'Veon for for financial reasons, then you know Brown made sense. Uh, and I felt like the Jets weren't giving Sam Darnold enough credit for being his own man. <laughs> but I did not realize the level of crazy that Antonio Brown apparently is. So, uh, you know, that's that's my fault. I was clearly wrong. The Jets were clearly right. They did not want any part of Antonio Brown because they believed he would be a harmful impact and have a harmful effect on Sam Darnold. Uh, and look, they're right. I, I believe they're right now. Uh because, again, I did not think what was going to happen in Oakland was going to happen. That, to me, was a different level of just craziness and, and nuttiness. Uh, in terms of Brown breaking up the culture in New England uh, or poisoning the well, I just don't think that Bill Belichick 
uh, and Tom Brady would ever allow it to get to that point. So if they even saw any hint of that, they would just cut the cord. Now it's an expensive cord to cut because, uh, you know, they'd be on the hook for $10 million. So I think they'd be willing to eat that if they, they saw that he was a problem. Uh, in terms of how that impacts the Patriots, I know it's, it's really easy to say the Patriots are unbeatable now because they've got, uh, a guy who was arguably the best player at his position over the last, you know, five years or for m- much of the last five or six years. Uh, to me, it's always about Brady. If Brady stays healthy, uh, they're going to win the division and go deep into the playoffs. I just don't believe he's going to stay healthy. I-, I know they have issues on their offensive line. I-, I also am fully aware that Tom Brady looked dominant uh, against Pittsburgh in the season opener, but it is a long season. He is 42 years old. Uh, you know, there's a, a belief among a lot of people that he is just going to be this dynamic player until the day he retires. I'm not one of those people. I think that the cliff comes and it comes quickly. Now the cliff has been delayed for him because he's 42. Typically that cliff comes at for quarterback in this day and age, 37, 38, 39, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. So he has extended that, but he is going to falter and he is not going to end his career on top. I don't believe that at all. I think there will be a decline in his play. I think it'll be abrupt, and I think that it'll probably be because he's not healthy. And I never wish injury on any player, especially the best quarterback in the history of, of pro football. But I just think if you're realistic about it, uh, you know he's gonna his play is gonna tail off. I don't think he's gonna stay healthy all 16 games. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. God knows I've been proven wrong many times when it comes to Tom Brady in the past. I don't see him making it through this season. It's a very long season. There's a lot of overreaction in week one. Uh, having Antonio Brown certainly doesn't hurt if he stays in line, but uh, as we saw in uh, against Pittsburgh, uh, having Edelman, Josh Gordon, that's, uh, you know, and even, <laughs> and even uh, the, the kid who used to be in the, uh, he used to be in the, with the Colts who scored two touchdowns, even having him, they have enough weapons to win the division, to be a force in the AFC uh, it'll be interesting to me to see how uh, Brady and Brown uh, vibe because Antonio Brown has a history of doing a lot of freelance routes, uh, and that's a, that's something that Ben Roethlisberger learned to to work with and, and clearly had a, a good chemistry with because it, he was with Antonio Brown for a very long time. But it is interesting because his Patriot offense is predicated on a lot of precision stuff and uh, and Brady being comfortable on option routes. He's certainly very comfortable with. Julian Edelman on those option routes. Uh, there's a lot of freelancing and option routes that Antonio Brown, you know, likes to employ in his game, and uh, it'll be it'll be interesting for me to see how quickly he develops a, a, a rapport and a chemistry with with Brady. Because if Brady doesn't trust you, no matter what your resume says, he's not going to throw to you. And history has shown that. Uh, I think uh, most recently uh, for a wide receiver, you saw that with Chad Johnson, you know, an accomplished player who came into New England and just you know never really got on the same page as Brady. And, you know, maybe Brown makes a seamless transition to New England. Maybe he doesn't. But I'm fairly certain, if the, again, if there's any suggestion that he's going to be a problem in that locker room, Bill Belichick will do what he typically does with most players. He'll cut ties early. Uh, it's better to be too early on situations like that than to let something fester and make the situation worse. We'll talk about the Patriots more next week. But before we run, Manish, I just got to call you out on this. Taking shots at the uniforms. Are you trying to get Paulie Brzez to be your mortal enemy? Is that what's going on here? Is this a full-on heel turn? 
Well, this is what I'll say about the uniforms. I've been consistent about it. Just generally speaking, I don't care about uniforms. <laughs> and I'm not, this is not a shot at the New York Jets. It's any team that has new uniforms. Who cares? You know, get talented players who can help you win football games. That's what matters. Okay, so take that aside for a moment and just look at the uniform itself. The helmet is great. I don't think you can get a true sense of the how cool the color is until you see the helmet up close and personal. I love the helmet. The helmet gets five stars for me. The the actual uniform and the font and the, the you know just the, the how the actual jersey and the pants look it doesn't do anything for me. I you know it kind of looks like it was it could be sold at a Walmart. I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it's dynamic in any way. And again, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, right? So you know my my idea of what looks good in terms of uh, uniform design is different than yours or different than anybody else's. But I will say that I love the color of the helmet. The helmet is great. It's awesome. But the rest of the uniform leaves a lot to be desired, in my opinion. You heard it here first. Manish Mehta is looking for a war with Pauly Brzez. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. We all know that Pauly is Mr. Uniform. So make sure you listen to Pauly tomorrow on Prepare for Takeoff when he has Jeff Lloyd from Locked on Browns on. Maybe he'll have a little comeback for you, Manish. I don't know. Because I know that when you talk about anything... Paulie's usually pretty mellow, but you start talking about those uniforms and he loses his mind. So it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say. Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News, thanks so much for hopping on again. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to talking to you next week. But in the meantime, why don't you let everybody know what you're working on over at the Daily News? Uh, well, I'll have a, one fairly substantial story this week, uh, probably in Wednesday's newspaper, uh, about uh, the quarterbacks will be playing in Monday night's game. Sounds like something we definitely need to talk about on next week's show, Manish. We'll also talk about the latest developments that just happened as we're finishing this recording, namely Demarius Thomas, the former Broncos superstar who's taken a few steps backwards, ended up on the Patriots, but now to clear room for Antonio Brown was expendable, and he ends up getting traded to the Jets for a conditional sixth-round pick in the 2021 draft. So we'll talk about that later this weekend, of course, next week when Manish is back on, but later this week with the very big deal Chris Nimbley and the suspension of Nathan Shepard after he tested positive for PEDs. He's going to miss a handful of games. Don't really think that's going to make that much of an impact since he wasn't playing much for the Jets. And when he has played in the past, he hasn't done a whole lot. But it's still something we will discuss later in the week with Chris Nimbley. And of course, we will talk about it with Manish next week. In the meantime, go ahead and read Manish in the New York Daily News. Follow him on Twitter. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.